Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi guys and welcome to Adulting. This is the podcast where I discover that actually we're not as grown up as we once thought that we were. And today I'm joined by Sophia Moneycoots. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Sophia is a journalist and author Mm -hmm. and she has just published her first book. Yes. The Plus One. The Plus One, yeah. It's out uh, next week and it's, um, yeah, The Plus One, it's about my very chaotic but hopefully lovable heroine. Uh, Polly, who has just turned 30 and is at that stage of life when all her mates are sort of 10 stages ahead of her in terms of relationships and babies and houses and blah, 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 work and promotions. Um, And she's not. But she works for Posh Magazine. And then one day she gets invited to Yorkshire to interview this playboy son of a duke. And dun, 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 it all unfolds from there. It's amazing. (laughs) I love, I love Posh Magazine because I just know you can just see so many parallels in it. It is really good. And it's hailed as like the new kind of Bridget Jones vibe, isn't it? Yes, really gratifyingly. People have said that. A sort of cross between, I mean, it sounds very arrogant saying this. Um, A sort of cross between Bridget Jones and Jilly Cooper. Nice. sort of the vibe, I think, um, which is lovely to hear. And Jilly, bless Jilly, gave me a quote for the front. I mean, I was quite intimidated. She said, the sex in my book made her feel like a nun. <laughs> I love, because it starts, it comes in quite soon. Because oh I'm not God. that far in. And I was sat with my boyfriend. And he was like, what have you just read? <laughs> and it's the bit where... Was it the scene when she brings Callum yeah, back? Yeah, she brings him back. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, I feel violated. <laughs> oh no, God, <laughs> No, it's really well written because it's really, it's really, because it is like you're there in the moment. Well, what I really wanted, I really wanted the sex scenes to be realistic and then not in a Fifty Shades way or in a sort of silly way or in a too romantic a way I just wanted them to be what women would be thinking so there's this scene I don't want to give any spoilers away but yeah there's a scene where Polly comes back with someone and she has to sort of give him a blowjob and she's down there and she's just like oh for god's sake my legs are sore and smells and my thighs are burning and how much longer and I just really wanted other women to read that and be like oh my god that's so true yeah and I love the (laughs) internal monologue that she's having as well because that's my favourite thing like the amount of things that you think about which have nothing to do with your boyfriend or whoever you're sleeping with at the time you're just like what is that have I put the washing on and then you're like oh right what's going on oh yeah 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 yeah. concentrate (laughs) I really I really found that really funny and I do think it's so important that we in this sex positive time are making sure that we are it is messy and wet and gross and it's not weird noises yeah and, oh god what's he doing now and oh actually that doesn't feel that nice and oh no stop it that yeah. all that sort of thing i just feel like yeah have um, you had many better at- men reading it and feeling shocked because i feel like they almost obviously not a lot but i feel like a, a, a broad spectrum of guys would read that and be shocked because i generally think they they even see sex in a pornified way in their own experience <laughs> yeah they kind of like impose that idea <laughs> and they're like oh it's such an honor that you're down there yeah <laughs> enjoy it yeah um, uh yeah, well, my boyfriend actually, I think, was quite sort of, he read it. He was like, oh. Um, and actually, I wrote most of the book before we got together. But um, because Polly obviously is quite like me, I think first books, your heroine probably tends to be quite yeah. like you. Um, Lloyd, my boyfriend, definitely read it 
thinking that I was Polly and that he got quite annoyed. It was hilarious. He was annoyed that, was that this jealous? character... Yeah, he got jealous. Oh, it was really sweet. so funny. And I was like, oh God, all this stuff that, that you're doing. And I was like, well, it's not me, is it? It's a fictional character. It's Polly. Um, so, so yeah, he, that was one reaction. Um, my dad's reaction Did was quite interesting. Did your dad read it? Yeah. Oh no, I couldn't cope. Well, I, I'm very lucky. I've got a, a sort of very open family. So when we talk about sort of sex and stuff, it's fine. But dad reading that sort of blowjob scene and then repeating lines back to me I remember I was in the car with him at one point (laughs) and he was repeating lines back to me and you know um you know in Ladybird have you seen Ladybird no I need I almost watched it the other day there's a scene in Ladybird it's in the trailer actually when they're driving I think she's off to uni and her mum is sort of yakking on and she's, she says, Mum, stop. And she basically she, and just opens the car and rolls car. out. And I did bit. feel a bit like doing that with my dad. I was like, was he out. laughing about it? Did no, he was totally funny? laughing. He was totally laughing. Um, but it was a sort of, it was like the reverse of my dad wrote a porno. It was a very weird scenario having oh, your dad yeah. read your sex lines back to you and sort of chuckle about them. <laughs> so have you had that a lot? Have you had a lot of people thinking that these are like first-hand experience? I mean, obviously it's going to be based off some kind of yeah. experience, but... Yes. You had to be like, this isn't actually my autobiography. Um, yeah, I have had to make that clear. Because obviously also, I should say, I worked at Tatler for five years. So obviously that's what Posh Magazine is based on. Yeah. And so, yes, obviously it is a it is a bit autobiographical. Um, but, I mean, I don't mind the fact that people might think the sex scenes are autobiographical. Because I think we have all got better at talking about this kind of yeah. stuff, right? So whether it's Polly or whether it's an experience that I've had it's all up for discussion, right? Yeah. So it's, everything's more out in the open. So I guess that's a good thing. So I guess with the posh and the Tatler parallels, was there any, was anyone affronted by any of that? Yeah, I was quite worried. There was a moment when um, it was all announced and I hadn't made a secret while I was working at Tatler that I was writing a book or that it was a book. If anyone had asked, I would have said, yeah, it's sort of set in this, in this magazine, this posh magazine. But then, yeah, um, very kindly, the Londoner's Diary on the Evening Standard did a sort of diary story when it was announced saying, oh, uh, Sophia Money Coots gives... Tatler the Devil Wears Prada treatments. And I was obviously thrilled. I was like, yes, Devil Wears Prada's amazing, brilliant. And my editor, poor Kate, got a bit freaked out, I think, and had to sort of have words. And I felt, I just felt awful and then wanted to really reassure her so also gave her a copy and it's fine yeah but it's, it's funny and it's fiction and it's also it's just it's just a hyperbolic version of yeah and we all know that those kind of stories and that kind of gentrified idea it does exist just, yeah it's there anyway, and also it's affectionate i yeah. don't i never want to be sort of mean or bitchy about anything i want to sort of be tongue-in-cheek i suppose yeah and have a laugh but not at anyone's expense. Yeah, it's just a bit of satire, really, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what else I think I wanted you to talk to, talk to you about was, mm. as a woman, I mean, there's a lot of stress, obviously, in the, in the novel and the concept about feeling that at a certain age you're supposed to have a boyfriend or you're supposed Oof, to be... I hate that. Kind of like, you, like a man's going to fix your life or whatever. But mm. what about in terms of career? Because, like you said, you and Polly both have fantastic careers, you're doing really well... And yet, even as a woman in, in an amazing position, you feel like, oh, God, I need a man to, to make my narrative better. Yeah, I think that just has been always the narrative, hasn't it? And again, I think we're getting better at talking about it and realising that you can be absolutely perfectly fine and more than fine, very happy on your own. And thank God, you know, thank God for that. Um, because I can't bear that thing of, you know, I see it, we can see it. I've been in that place. Um, I think most of us have where you think oh if only if only I met someone then everything would be perfect then everything would be sorted and then you might meet someone and you might have a really wonderful amazing relationship but that's still not everything's not sort of as it were sorted I remember actually once a friend of mine who got she got married and a single friend of hers said some remark along the lines of well it's all right for you because you're married as if 
once you get married oh you just completed it exactly you completed life and that's fine and there's no you don't have anything to deal with after that um but but i mean it's it's really not true so yeah it's that thing of you have to sort of sort yourself out first before you go looking for someone else to fix you yeah that doesn't work it's a really interesting because i haven't reached that age obviously i'm 24 but my sister's like in this bit where a lot of her friends are getting married and my neighbor upstairs was saying she's at a point where she's the only one that's not married with babies and she's like i don't even want kids yet but i can't be involved in the social fun mm, anymore it's really hard because the fun revolves around the babies and the husbands yeah she's she's like about to get married but i was like god that's so interesting i'd never thought about it like that she was like i actually need to have a kid now to be, like to hang out with my friends because <laughs> yeah. then you forget that that gets flipped yeah and then it's all about play dates and birthday parties yeah. and christenings and <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I am not married and I don't have children, but I do spend quite a lot of time with my mate's children and it's so fun for a bit. And then you're a bit like, oh no, I'm that's done actually now. enough. Yeah, so enough like Peppa Pig. Are most of your friends married now in your friendship group? I would say, yeah, I reckon. So I'm 33 and I reckon the seesaw between the number of mates who are married versus not probably swung, say, like two years ago. And mm. I felt like more people were married than weren't. And that, I was single at the time. I mean, I had really, I had a, very dodgy sort of relationship in the past that made me feel really low for a long time and I was in that place of oh my god what's wrong with me I'm never going to meet anyone never going to meet anyone and and again then I just focused I mean this book partly came out about that I just sort of thought right I've got to focus on something else um and and then I always it's so annoying that expression of it happened when you least expect it isn't it so annoying but I do think what can you talk a bit more about what happened in that relationship then or what yeah it was just one of those relationships I think I was always a sort of I was a bit of a late starter I guess with boys Mm. I was sort of at school I was sort of tall and chubby and kind of I was like the funny one right so I was I was the girl that boys would sort of I joke with but they never wanted to snog me so it like parties or socials or whatever other girls would be sort of snogging in the corner and I'd be like oh here I am sort of hovering waiting (laughs) awkwardly um and so I think what what happened was when there was someone then did come along and I'm talking now about sort of at university and then even after university in, in my 20s someone would come along who was vaguely interested and they might not have been the right person in many ways but I was just like yay I've got a boyfriend I'm like a normal person I'm like everyone else around me and I've got this boyfriend so I'm really going to cling on even though it could be a total disaster and I'm not saying this is true with all my past relationships but certainly yeah um, an ex-boyfriend of mine it was it was really damaging and he's quite a complicated character Mm. I've written a story recently about it and I I mean I know I was unquestionably head over heels in love but it was completely the wrong sort of kind of love like that passionate toxic kind of love really toxic it was like we were addicted to one another and it was so all consuming and he had he had a complicated scenario with an ex-girlfriend of his and it was just it really sort of screwed my head up for a while and and it was right at the stage when all my best girlfriends were getting married so me breaking up with him at the same time as Uh, they were all going down the aisle really messed me up for a bit I think and I just I was totally in that place like I said of oh my god what's wrong with me it's never gonna happen it's so weird because that passionate I've had that where you think that passionate love is like this must be right this, this is, is all the films yeah, exactly this, this is, is like poets you fight but we make love it's like amazing and yeah. then you realize like I'm in a relationship now where it's just nice yeah it's, it's just lovely. calm we don't argue yeah not, and I'm like oh this is this is it but you can't no drama. that doesn't translate into a film or, or like no lots, there's no really ways to kind of to dramatize it you you actually disband the whole idea that yeah. I really thought for my whole youth that love was this like yeah, exactly. fire yeah. and passion and that's what I would find <laughs> so I'd find someone that was completely antagonistic to everything I wanted to make that kind of yeah. 
this is what we've been taught that we yeah. shouldn't have. Well, it's a bit like so. The intro of my book, right? You, have you seen Sense and Sensibility, the film? Yeah, okay, ages so ago. I saw that. I think I must have been maybe oh, yeah, twelve or thirteen book, when yeah. I saw that, right? And I, it, it's still like one of my favorite films ever. I am obsessed with it. But there is that scene when Kate Winslet, Marianne, goes off. She's heartbroken after Willoughby breaks her heart, and then she goes off walking when they get to that friend's house on the way back from London to yeah. look at his house distantly over the hill and it's incredibly romantic and she's sort of all sad and crying and the storm sweeps in and then she gets this fever and she nearly dies. She nearly dies because she's so heartbroken. And I genuinely, having seen that at a very impressionable age, sort of thought that nearly dying for love was like the appropriate level of drama yeah. for relationships. <laughs> but I think when you're younger as well, you do think you want it. Funnily enough, when I was at school, I actually used to date the boyfriend that I'm going on now. Oh, no way. Not like officially Sweet. or anything. But when it ended, I remember lying in bed listening to Bon Iver and literally <laughs> feeling like I was going to die. Yeah. I've had more serious breakups since then and not been as like <laughs> dramatically. Oh my God, I was like, <laughs> like bawling. Like, we've been together for like a month or something. Like yeah. it wasn't even, a f- we weren't even going out. But it, when you're little, things just, you feel things so, so deeply. Much, which is kind of it's wonderful harrowing. in a way. Yeah. But it is wonderful, right? Like it was Tracy Chapman for me. I used to wail oh my to God, her. Yeah. And also Adele, someone like you, unfortunately came out then when I had like my big breakup. That was the worst oh passenger passenger's oh, yes. big song when I broke up with my ex that let was, her go oh, oh my god, god I was on my gap that was emotional that's such a good song but it, literally weird. now I almost can't listen to it because I'm like no, oh I god, agree. No, no, that puts me in a really bad place I love passenger which is not that song yeah I know I do actually have so many songs <laughs> but I also weirdly I love wallowing and stuff like that every I'm now and then so a good I. wallow is amazing I love a good cry <laughs> oh, yeah. sorry boyfriends yeah. oh yeah your friend's being married oh yeah so the, that was a really bad moment for me and then yeah so I sort of concentrated on work I dated a few people between him and my current boyfriend but it was sort of quite unsuccessful and I was in a sort of dodgy place and so yeah I just sort of focused on work and again it's it's just it's such an old cliche but it is time I think when you've had a really dramatic heartbreak like that you just need to sort of let it be and subside a bit and then get on with normal life um and yeah and then do you feel like when you're saying I was focusing on work do you think in the back of your mind there was always that idea that you needed to meet someone but you just weren't pursuing that or do you think you genuinely were like I'll just do work now and then suddenly a time came when you wanted to date again I think there was always in the back there's always in the back of my mind where is where is he when am I going to meet him and I think you know I see it with girlfriends now you go to sort of you go out for dinners or you go to weddings I remember being single and going to weddings and being sort of a bit frantic about like oh who are the single guys like here you're gonna, like, kind of looking around. who's the single guy here and who am I going to snog and I don't think I've ever snogged anyone random at a wedding I don't, I'm trying to think anyway but you do go to also to a dinner party or something you know and you just think right who's the single person because yeah. and or you'd be sat next to someone who was married at a wedding you'd think well that's a waste isn't it because I'm not going to end up <laughs> snogging you no one's going to speak to you and you get into that sort of frame of mind which is really psychotic think, and so bad for you but you can't help I it I think you're like that when you're all single because I remember at uni when it was really fun when we were all single because we'd all go out like a pack of wolves yeah and be scouting it's not fun when only one of you single like because now most of us are all in relationships so when you go out you just go out to dance with girlfriends but if one person's single they yeah. want to like chase the night and you're like no I'm going home at one I know and it's it's funny that dynamic that changes but it is so bad because I don't know if guys do the same thing well it, if they do it's sort of more again because they're men it's sort of more accepted isn't it yeah men definitely go out and think oh I'm gonna pull I'm gonna pull tonight whereas 
Yeah, it, I still think for girls, it's a bit sort of, it might be deemed a bit sort of unseemly in a way. I don't know. I think I think that is a because I do have girlfriends who are like, we're going to go out and pull tonight. Or even great. get laid. Like, yeah. great. I mean, how good is that? I've actually Brilliant. got a few friends who are all single. I know I'm in the happiest ratio ever, but the other day they were all like, we're all going to go out and get laid. And I was like, that's actually, I'm actually quite, <laughs> quite jealous. That sounds good. Fun. <laughs> I'm going to stay in. And, and they're, all, they're all single. And I was like, oh, why have I missed this party? I feel like I was always in a relationship when everyone else was single. But that's difficult with waves, isn't it? The waves yeah. of where you are versus where your friends oh, are. Oh, there's definitely waves of breakups. And we just had a wave of breakups, and I was like, oh, oh. my God, is this. Me? No, oh, shit, it. Am I the next? <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. So you like, rode that one out. I rode that one out. <laughs> but that definitely does happen. Yeah, 100%. Um, but in terms of getting married now, yes. do, what's your view on that? Do you want to get married? I, um, I'm quite weird about getting married. I never was one of those girls who dreamt about the wedding and the dress and the marquee or whatever. I just never, I sort of, I don't know if it comes from being the child of divorced parents. My parents separated when I was eight. Yeah. My dad and mum actually both remarried within a couple of years, but then my mum divorced again when I was 18. So I sort of grew up with divorce, I think, very present. Um, and I guess that maybe has informed me a bit. I don't know. I always have this debate. If you're the child of divorced parents, are you more likely to get divorced because you know that divorce isn't that big of a deal? You know, yeah. it happens and life goes on. Or are you less likely because you're so determined to make it work and believe in yeah and and really make a relationship last unlike your parents I don't know the answer to that I just do know that I am very wary of marriage and I am always thrilled pretty much when yet another friend you know sticks a picture up on Instagram of their hand and their engagement picture um and I love a wedding but I do there is so it feels like such a rush you know it starts in the late 20s and then it carries on for years like I go to weddings and I think oh are you is this a re- are you doing this because everyone else is doing it? I think or this like- is where my cynicism is as well because I also think this also might just me be me trying to be like make everything into like oh it's because we do this and I'm like why do you need to get married it's such an old fashioned thing I'm not remotely religious yeah. if I got married I certainly wouldn't do it in a in church, church saying vows, like- and then if I got to, yeah I'd have to write something else yeah. and then at the end of the day I'm like fair enough you can buy me a massive rock I will wear a <laughs> ring but like do we need to get married I don't know but then I don't know if that's just me being annoying and nitty gritty about like because my boyfriend would just be like it's just a nice thing to just do it for your family just do it you know well yeah no my boyfriend feels very strongly about it and um and because you know he wants to and we, we actually it's great we have really open conversations about it and mm. I have from the very beginning in fact I've just written a piece in, it in which I mentioned this I think boys do this quite often at the start of a relationship on late like maybe date five or six Lloyd said to me Oh, I'm never getting married, by the way. And I think they do it as a sort of test. It's like, oh, really? are you a psycho? Are you Glenn Close? Or how, like, where do you fall on that scale? So I instantly shot back. Oh, actually, yeah, no, me neither. And he then looked at me surprised. I was like, oh, what? Oh, that's and so I was like, funny. Yeah, um, just, well, well, my family divorced, so I just have never really pictured it. I'm a bit weird about marriage. And he was like, oh. And then it came up again quite early, quite a few times. He was like, well, if you don't want to get married, like, why are we even, why are we doing this? Oh, and in my so head, strange. you totally don't have to be in a relationship the, the end goal of, rela- of a relationship isn't marriage no I, I don't have an issue with being with someone and having children with them and and not hopefully having married. a very happy life with them and not getting married I think the really weird thing about relationships in general is that um you project so much of the, of the future that like people are constantly thinking about what's gonna happen in the future that you don't enjoy the now yeah and that's why I think breakups are so hard you could have been going out with someone for two years but you technically you've gone out with them for 40 because you've planned like yeah your wedding your kids so when you break up you're breaking up like a whole life, life. yeah yeah. And I think people would enjoy... I think also... I think I've spoken about this before, but this... The idea of monogamy being so absolute every single time you get into a relationship makes the idea in of itself slightly redundant because every single time I've gone out with someone, obviously you think they're the one. Yeah. 
Yeah. So by like by proxy, clearly that doesn't. So I just I don't know. I just feel this idea of like condemning a relationship to have to fit into marriage. Yeah. Well, also just yeah, the pressure of it. I mean, my brother, uh, I love him. He's quite hippie. He's he once said to me, "Soft life is about a series of beautiful relationships. It's not necessarily just about one." Yeah. And I kind of agree. I would love to be. I mean, I hope I am with my boyfriend forever and ever. But you just you don't know, do you? And I think why can't you take each month, each year as exactly. it comes and not put the pressure of standing in a church, as you said, when very few people now believe in those um, religious sentiments anyway, promising to be together forever when, you know, we live until we're sort of exactly. 900 these days. It's a really long time. That's the thing they were saying, like, if we lived until we're like 200, imagine you're, having children would be such a small portion of your life. Yeah, yeah. You would actually, they, you might even get to the point where you wouldn't even really know your children or you yeah. certainly wouldn't know that all of their children's children. Yeah. I don't know. I just find it very interesting. I completely agree with the idea that also, divorce, it's really funny because divorce is so common and people get with each other so frequently. But the mm. idea of being like, I'm going to go into a relationship to enjoy it for however long it lasts, whether that brings me children as well. Yeah. And that's really, people are like, you can't say that. I know, you exactly. You have to believe. And you yeah. do believe it's rather, otherwise you probably wouldn't engage Otherwise, why would you bother at all? But I just think it's a very strange idea that when we realise that actually divorce is quite common and that things aren't necessarily forever and and also just the trajectory of lives especially probably with women being more um mobilized in society and doing more things the the trajectory we're working off is based off of such old ideas yeah it doesn't really translate into life now no that one sort of immovable thing is is the our women's biological clocks right so i had a um i went to see my gynecologist the other day did you very personal detail and he um he was like and I, I was just talking about children and in general, very much in general. And I was saying, because, you know, in an ideal world, I wouldn't for five, six years. Yeah. Because I wouldn't, because I feel like I'm having a, such a lovely time now. I've gone freelance and I've got this book coming out and then I'm going to write another one. And I'm doing so much cool stuff. And I'm so happy with Lloyd and we have a lovely time. And I see friends with babies who are shattered and exhausted and yeah. the women, obviously, because it just naturally still does fall to them, have to put their lives and their jobs more on hold. It's really tough. And and my gynecologist looked at me and sort of, you know, grimaced a bit. And he went, if I can give you one bit of advice, and I'm not really meant to, but if I can, I would say in the next two years. And you're suddenly like, because because that changes so much. And if you, and and yeah, so he's basically saying, get on with it. And he's like, but no, I'm not old enough. I had this conversation with my boyfriend because he said, I remember enough, he denies this, but it wasn't even a date. We were just on a walk somewhere because we were friends or doing something. Mm. And he was like, I want to have kids before I'm 30. And I remember being like, what the hell? Because that's in like yeah. a few years. But also, if I could choose to, and I knew I could, I would wait until I was 40. That's yeah. when I'll probably be ready, realistically, yeah. with my career, yeah, exactly. with where I want to be. I'll be financially stable years old, mm. which probably won't happen for a while, especially with houses at the minute. And <laughs> yeah. I just don't think that I just think that's too soon. I'm just not yeah. ready to have a kid. Yeah. And it kills me. And also, I can't afford to freeze my eggs. And, like, it's it's so stressful. I just don't think guys ever really realise that feeling of, like... Well, just how much we still will be sacrificing compared to them. Which yeah. Which is... I know some people will probably say it's unfair. But it's it it's true. If I look at my want... girlfriends who've all had babies, they have put their lives on hold a hell of a lot more yeah. than the guys. And when I did an episode with the gynecologist and she was saying realistically, she was like, all these people say you should get tested and see about your fertility. And she was like, I would advise any woman mm. personally. She's like, if you haven't had a baby yet and you haven't had the right man, just, just, and maybe try and find a way to do it later on in life, but don't force it. She was like, because I think what you'll find is, you'll, she was like, I do have lots of women who will just, are, they'll do a test to find out they're fertile, mm. find out that maybe it's running out of time and go and literally find a man, yeah. have a baby with him and then actually your life in a funny way is almost worse off than if you just 
seen what yeah. happened and maybe adopted never or yeah. never knew and just didn't Victoria's try to. Victoria's time, someone came along. Because the other narrative is that you have to have a baby as a woman. You should yeah. want to have a well, kid. Exactly. So even if you didn't want one and you didn't think you wanted one, if you suddenly get told it's running out of time, people must just yeah. go stir crazy and think, exactly. shit, I've got to. So in my head, I've suddenly got a two-year timer now, and that just does put a lot more pressure on a relationship, I think. And yeah, as you said, I don't even know when I go to my friends' you know, children's birthday parties or go around for dinner, I do sometimes look at it and think, but do I really... I mean, I'm not actually very broody. I don't have that thing in me yet. Maybe it suddenly yeah. kicks in one morning when you wake up. Um, so I definitely am not there yet. Um, so yeah, I don't even know if, if I want that to happen That's at all. I, but here's yeah. your doctor saying, do it, do it, think about it. It's just terrifying. Is it bad that I'm annoyed that he's a man saying that as well? <laughs> he's actually the loveliest man in the whole world. Is so he? I didn't feel too cross at him. I know he's only wanting to sort of... Give you the option. Do yeah. what, say what's best. But it does put a whole load of pressure. I mean, in my head, I'm always still amazed, frankly, that I can drive and I pass my driving test. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm sort of 17. Well, I don't is... feel like I should be yeah. weighing up whether to have a child or not. This it's is just... what I think. I just feel so much younger than... I don't know, I just can't believe that the people doing fully-fledged jobs. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just feel like it's... And it's funny, because when you're, like, 16, I remember thinking someone's 23 or 25. So old. So old. <laughs> so mature. I know. I'm really glad that they've now said that you're not officially an adult till you're, like, 25. Because it used to be it was 18, but I think psychologically now they've said it's 25. <laughs> Can we just push it back? <laughs> push it yeah. back later and later. Yeah, I know. Um, it's madness. Yeah. But, yeah, so, moving on, talking mm. about that, actually, and careers-wise and things, mm. how did you... Because I think a lot, a lot of people, and I myself get this as well, we were talking about imposter syndrome. Yeah. And Classic. in your work and now, did you know what you wanted to do when you were younger? How did you get into this path? Yeah, I was quite lucky, I think, in that I did know that I wanted to write and be a journalist. My mum's... A lot of my mum's side of the family are journalists. So I sort of grew up hearing about it and... I mean, maybe it was quite naive in a way, just assumed in an arrogant way. Oh, that's what I'm going to do. Who did your mum write for? Um, She wrote for a lot of sort of country magazines. Her father was a journalist and writer and editor of Telegraph for many years. And his son, my uncle, went to work for Telegraph for many years. His son, my cousin, now works for the Mail. Another one used to work there. And so there's just various sort of journalists peppered around, basically. So a bit like well like any careers that run in the family you sort of assume well that's what I'll do yeah um and then I realized I went to LSE for uni uh, London School of Economics where everyone is going off to be an incredibly high-powered lawyer or banker yeah. uh, or consultant and I was like the, the class clown because I was going to go off and be a journalist what made you cho- choose LSE then because um, I didn't get into Oxford twice okay <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually I'm not sure I would go to London again now I think um, if I could go back I would You'd get the uni experience I'd get the uni experience yeah. I totally didn't have that yeah both um, my sisters went to London unis and they're like there's no point you just hemorrhage yeah. money and you, you don't hemorrhage money and you really... I mean I did I went out with my tutor for two and a half years so amazing actually, yeah, yeah. so much so I never want to take it back that. because he um, we're still really good friends and he's wonderful so this I never want wait this is the best one why have you not written a book about <laughs> so, that so yeah well <laughs> Well, he was um, in my first year. I took a um, political philosophy course, and he taught political. Oh philosophy. my god! I can already tell you. So amazing. exactly like American <laughs> talking about Rousseau and things. Oh, um, and and yeah, I always sort of had a bit of a crush. And then towards the end of the year, we were having mock exams, and I emailed him saying I couldn't make one of the mock exams. I'd messed up my dates. And actually, at the time, 
Um, I was blonde. I'm brunette, but I was blonde back then. And I said, I'm really sorry I've been so blonde, um, but uh, I just messed up the date, so can I do another mock date? And he came back. I mean, you'd probably get in trouble for saying this now, and said, actually, fine, don't worry about the date. It's P.S. I've always wondered, do blondes have more fun? <gasps> I mean, so cringe, actually, now, oh when you think God, about no, it. Oh, my God, no, but that's but so much me, fun. How old are you, like, 18? I was, no, 19. That is the most fun so, thing that could yeah, ever so happen in your life. Like, oh, my God, well, that was that's it. So like I movie. then sent, I mean, like, the world's most cringe email back, saying... Was well, this on your uni email? Have a drink and like find out. Emails. Yeah, I think it was both on my. <laughs> so bad. So good. Anyway, so yeah, we should. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a drink and find out. And actually, our first date was in Brixton. So, because he lived in Peckham and I was living in Brixton at the time. How old was he? So he was, uh, he's, I mean, he's not like, when I said tutor, he's not like 900 years old. He no, was, yeah. 34 so we had a really young me. sexy Scottish teacher that we all tried to flat with and he just shut it down <laughs> we all were like hi Martin he's like alright girls and just walk off and we're like bye <laughs> and I think he actually hated it because in this day and age as well you just you can get in so much trouble like, so, so I think one he thing. just had to like, be yeah. like go away <laughs> anyway yeah so we went on the first date in Brixton he was yeah so he was 15 years older than me which yeah isn't I mean so he was 34 at the time which and that's basically my age now but it, at the time it seemed sort of very much older anyway and we but we did go out for two and a half years and it was sort of sexy for the first bit because yeah. we had to keep it secret at uni such fun um and but then i i was sort of it was wonderful but it was one of those things i was really young i wanted to sort of go off and have adventure and live abroad so we broke up um and it was yeah that was my first sort of real major looking breakup. back now because i think of my 19 year old self on she was an absolute dickhead and also like a ch- ch- actual child do you do you think look back and like feel like you were old because I felt and now I look back and I'm not even that much older than that I'm only five years older but my god I think I've changed sometimes so although much. sometimes do you ever look back and think I think I was maybe more wise then no, oh my god no <laughs> I, I can't wisdom I was... and I make sort of weirder decisions now <laughs> oh no I was actually awful <laughs> I remember I the one thing I really remember actually with his with the relationship with him was an absolute lack of jealousy about anything which is like I suppose because at 19 you're a sort of blank slate you haven't got much emotional baggage hopefully and I remember once I was never like he had he'd broken up fairly recently with his ex and he was going to stay with her family in France for a weekend and I was just like yeah cool fine like don't worry about it did you think he worshipped the ground you walked on? Did you feel very much like because you were this young student? Well but I think it went both ways like we were we were I you know loved him and he loved me and it was a sort of quite a grown-up relationship despite the age gap but god if now laurie said to me yeah i'm just gonna go and um go and stay with my girlfriend and her family for, no for the weekend i'd be like are you kidding me i'd lose my shit and so maybe it's because you're young and you just haven't you haven't developed That's sort of really all those like i guess if no one's ever broken your trust yeah then you wouldn't have a reason to yeah. i had to go the opposite so i was fine then i got jealous because i'm broken my trust and i've had to train myself not to be jealous oh, because it's the worst otherwise you can carry jealousy with you in situations that don't warrant any jealousy yeah, it's for so no pointless. reason I'm so destructive I hate it, it. it's is. a really hideous horrid sort of gremlin that sits yeah. in your head 
and can just pop up and say and just needle you with little things I remember it was I had a manager at Bergen and Lobster when I used to work there mm. as a student and I remember her just saying something to me like jealousy only affects you it yeah. doesn't fix anything and I remember something just yeah. switched in my head and then if I ever got jealous and she was oh this was it she was like once my boyfriend cheated on me and everyone was like you should have got jealous like you could have seen it coming but she was like but I would have just gone through it twice yeah she was like if they're gonna do something they're gonna do it whether or not you're sneaking through their phone yeah or whether or not you try to catch them out so she's yeah. like you just have to implicitly trust someone until they prove you wrong well also you can when you see it in other if i see it in friends say jealousy or say on like love island if you could see some of the women being jealous yeah. it's a really unattractive yeah. thing but when you're in the grip of it you it feels it's like horrible. you can't help yourself and trying to turn off that bit of your brain and reassure yourself is really hard. I think I very rarely feel anxious and, the one, and one of the only times I feel anxious is when I feel fear of like, je- like jealousy yeah, it's or one of those emotions. Horrid. It really like stops me in my tracks. Well, it's also all-consuming, all isn't it? Yeah. So you, can you can go down some sort of Instagram phone hole and be oh, like, what am I doing? How have I found myself I here? <laughs> it's so bad. But the worst thing is with girls as well, we'd put it like in a group chat and you'd all just come up with this whole scenario from like yeah. one thing. Yeah. And then they'd be like, he didn't text me back and we'd be like, oh my God, it's this. And you just find out that like, his phone had died. Oh God, in fact, actually, I did this on the weekend. I, Lloyd and I went out for lunch and I left my phone at home. I just forgot it. And I needed, we were having lunch with some of my friends. And so he didn't have the number. So I was like, oh, come on, I just sign into Instagram on your phone. Yeah. And um, send them a message. So he signed in and he tapped. I was like, um, I was like, well, he's called Tom and his girlfriend. And he was typing in his girlfriend's name and and an ex-girlfriend of Lloyd's came up and I was like oh and he was like why were you looking up and I was like oh my god <gasps> oh my god, oh my god. no don't because he literally be mentioned her in brief the other day uh, seeing her at something he's, he's been away and I'd then been that psycho who'd then the gone in the people talk you don't my mum loves it I mean we can all be completely rational women <laughs> on, on the face of it can't we but underneath with, I do think I mean I could write a book about Instagram I, I stalk people that my friends don't like you, it's, you know it's quite nice to stalk someone that you don't like yeah I don't really have anyone that I don't like anymore so I have to stalk well, that's healthy yeah well, I think that's <laughs> but quite, who are you going to stalk so, then? exactly so <laughs> I'm such a stalking women that my girlfriends don't like and I'm like you're annoying and it's really bad and then they're like oh that's who I stalk it's really there is like a real pleasure it's a horror it's a very weird thing like hate stalking is a thing yeah i mean i just yeah it's terrible it's really it bad really you bad. find yourself going down this hole and you just can't stop it i know it is social media is really awful for that. <laughs> and i do have that absolute fear i'm like one day i am gonna get caught and i am just gonna like this girl's picture and yeah I'm like, exactly and i know i feel the fear in me yeah i know it's gonna happen one day you almost know you don't want it to happen i was thinking like do you almost want it to happen a bit but no you really don't no. like oh this happened with isn't that the five second rule though supposedly someone's told me before on instagram if I, you accidentally like a picture and then unlike it if in their five phone's seconds, unlocked it's fine as long as they're not on it but if they're lock screen it doesn't matter what you do it'll stay there oh but yeah that is awful I actually think it's so bad talking about stalking like stuff like that because you say it out loud and you just think I know but if we, at least if we say it out loud then it's we're missing because everyone flaws. does it right yeah. yeah I mean it's just one of those bad things um, but what other things Korea no we got oh, di- yeah. Yeah, cause, hang on we got completely <laughs> diverted from yeah, the sorry. So, so anyway so LSE was yeah it was more about my <laughs> mad uh, sort of yeah um, not mad lovely relationship with my tutor anyway and then yeah so I knew I wanted to be a journalist I was at LSE but everyone was getting like very lucrative trainee schemes for like Goldman Sachs and they were all going yeah, off to yeah. banks and I was like oh my god how do you there aren't really lucrative trainee schemes for, for newspapers or magazines so I went to work for a sort of what's it's called contract publishing which is if a business like Sainsbury's or British right. Airways wants a magazine then they approach a publishing house and pay them to produce a magazine so British Airways does have one Sainsbury's does have one I went to work um, for one a magazine that did sort of ludicrously posh they did the magazine for Annabelle's the club oh, and yeah. Aspinall's the casino Amazing. stuff because just someone had said oh they're looking for like a 
features assistant basically so I did that in my uni summer holidays and then from there got an interview for the evening standard uh, for a job on the features desk there basically and had a terrible interview because I was so nervous and sweat I couldn't stop sweating um, but I think because I was I mean I did work for three I think for three months she the, ed, the then editor Veronica Wadley took me on and that was kind of it I think once you've got your in industries like journalism once you've got your foot in the door it's just sort of up to you to really cling yeah. on like a limpet and do whatever you can do to, you know, put yourself out or go and get your... I remember buying my boss's tights and getting coffee yeah. and just doing all that crap because you've just got to hang well, on. Well, I think in any, like, content-creating industry, you just have to push out as much, st- like, to yeah. the point where you're just constantly doing it all the time. Yeah, it's a really difficult one, I think, because I saw this with people who came into work experience at Tatler of trying to be sort of helpful and nice and not annoying, but also you want to be like, I've written this thing or mm. I've done this thing or do you, can you take a look at this? And I, yeah, I get it. How do you platform yourself in, in like a situation where I think I've got a bit better now? But for instance, like that, when you really know that you're the underdog, but you really feel like a piece of work has credence. Yeah. How do you be like, actually, please, I think this deserves your point of view. Like, what would you suggest? I think to... um, I think it's about if you can if you can email someone and and really take time with an email it's not sort of dear so and so that it's not clearly a generic thing that you've sent out to loads of people it would be you know dear in my case sort of disfire hi mentioning I've had this before where people will mention oh I love that piece that you wrote this or I love that that like just shows that you've taken a bit of time yeah. and also if you're receiving if you're because I was um I went on to I was an editor at the mail and then at Tatler and so it, then if you're an editor and you're getting loads of pitches a day from people if someone's taking the time to personalize something then it's very hard to it sort of lodges in your brain a bit more it's really hard to just delete that email yeah. on site you can't because that's <laughs> incredibly rude and someone's obviously taking the time to get in touch with you so even if they don't immediately an editor doesn't immediately go great we'd love to run it we'll print it tomorrow at least you've made a sort of human connection yeah. as opposed to just sending out something which is clearly has gone to 20 different people. What about really interesting? I want to ask you about working at the Daily Mail <laughs> no, as a woman. People always say it and I, just of, I always know. feel a bit sort of, I mean, you know, because everyone hates the Daily Mail and I always sort of say it quietly. No, but everyone, everyone hates the Daily Mail but everyone also Love. fervently reads the TV I know. and The section. thing is, as a, as a journalist, whatever your politics, and I was there with Helen Lewis, who's now the deputy mm. editor of New Statesman. I was on the same desk as her and she's amazing. And obviously she's gone off in a completely different direction and is so super successful and so intelligent. But I don't think it's any reflection on you. I just, I was more interested in like, if it was as, um, not even misogynistic, but just as, like, well, as I mean, a woman kind of working was. there. Yeah, was <laughs> yeah. it, was it, did... um, it, there's always sort of, the thing that I know is true is that certain pages in the female section, women aren't supposed to be photographed in trousers or jeans. If you look at the pages of female, yeah. which comes out on a Thursday in the paper, all the women will be in dresses or skirts. That's still... I mean, the editor, Paul Dacre, is stepping down though oh. this year. So I'm really interested. And, and Geordie Gregg, who's the editor of the Mail on Sunday, ex-editor of Tatler, is moving to be editor of the Mail. So it's interesting. really interesting to see if that will change. I mean, yeah. yes, it was a very sort of macho testosterone environment but then most newsrooms are to yeah be fair. Um, I mean I guess most industries in general are um yeah exactly <laughs> um and newsrooms are just very very shouty and can be very aggressive and stressful and so yes they're not very inviting workplaces or haven't traditionally been for women um but but working at Mel for two years was the most amazing training I always say it's sort of yeah. you get thrown in and it's sink or swim basically and a load of people go through it a lot of journalists go through it and many journalists who are, you know, left wing would have to admit 
the mail is you know very professionally run incredibly successful yeah paper whatever you think it's very good business yeah yeah um in a very difficult industry it's still you know making money so so did you feel like you've so now that you've finally gone freelance do you feel like you've finally worked up to the point where you can actually say and do and be who you want to be yeah I wanted to leave so I, was, I went from the mail to Tatler for five I, I was at Tatler for five years and I wanted to go freelance for a while but I was just like shit how do I make that happen yeah. because oh my god if I don't have a salary and Scary. how am I li- how am I going to support myself and 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 it it took it basically took getting the, the book deal for me to think okay that's all right I can leave and even if I only get commissioned one piece a month I can I can just about manage and then you uh, yeah and then you leave and and actually it's, I mean I really love Tatler and I love the sort of madness of writing about dukes and labradors yeah. and all of that and going around leaky castles and you know the mad wonderful things that I got to do for five years at Tatler were kind of extraordinary and obviously, obviously have sort of informed the book but I did want to get away a little bit from endless labrador jokes and yeah. you know that I think yeah, I, I I still love writing about posh people and I'm fascinated and I think this country remains not quite fascinated with sort of class. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'd like to do some other stuff as well. Yeah. So. Do you feel like, so do you feel like a little bit of that was like almost underwriting the whole thing was just a self-belief that actually you could just go and do it on your own? Uh, yes. I mean, I, I needed I needed the sort of, uh, the, the book deal, I think, to give me that confidence. Yeah. I needed something, a sort of push. Um, and a little bit, I mean, I got, I got a column on Sunday Telegraph um, just before I got the book deal so that was another thing which oh, meant amazing. I could jump and go yeah. and then you yeah so it's just little it bit by bit but I mean god yeah jumping from a job with a salary to in London to no salary you know you'd have to be pretty mad was there always a novel at the end of your story not at the end in the middle of your story <laughs> um was I always going to write one? Well, yeah, did you, was it journalism and then would you thought like someone want to be an author or was it that just yeah, happened? Yeah, I did always want to do a book and actually I lived in Abu Dhabi for two years after the Evening Standard because I've been in London for ages I went away and lived out there. Have you been out to Dubai or Abu Dhabi? I've been to Dubai, yeah. Um, so quite a weird part of the world to yeah, live in for two yeah. years and people are really, I get quite defensive sometimes about the Gulf because people can be really snotty about it, about Dubai and this sort of silliness. But it just doesn't pretend to be anything else, no. right? It sort of just pretends to be mad hotels and water parks and and all of that. So I had sort of two years out there working for a newspaper, which was an amazing adventure. Um, but, and I did actually start a book and nearly get a deal when I was out there, which was a sort of single life in the desert, single girl's life in the desert kind of thing. Because, oh my God, expat society, I'm weirdly fascinated by. I don't oh, know if yeah. you've, you've read White Mischief. No. I don't know if any uh, listeners have read White Mischief. It's this amazing book about Kenya. And um, the sort of expat society in the sort of 20s, 30s, into the 40s. I can imagine that's amazing. And they were all sort of drinking champagne, taking morphine and and just misbehaving and affairs and shagging all the time. Even my parents, when they lived in Saudi, mum was like, they lived in a complex. Oh, well, yeah, if they lived out there. And she was like, the women would come over and they're buyers and they'd take it off and underneath they'd all have like the most expensive Chanel Gucci, like amazing perfume. And she would be gobsmacked because they'd all come over. But because my parents were in a British, because my dad was a doctor, so he would be in like the British complex bit. Yeah. So they would could take their because they weren't technically I don't really know how it worked but she was like oh my god we go to bed early they'd be drinking moonshine yeah it's <laughs> sort of extraordinary but I yeah. do think there's something that happens with expat whether it 
is Hong Kong or Singapore or Dubai I think it's people go out there to work for a bit it's not really real life right you think well yeah. real life is when I come home I think you get sucked in as well you totally like, can't escape in. it it's all everyone sort of spends the weekend it's like being on holiday basically yeah. the whole time everyone's on boats and on the beach on the weekends probably everyone's earning a bit more money as well yeah a lot of so it creates a sort of mad crucible and I did start writing a book about being a sort of single girl and the affairs and the drinking and the, everything that went on around me and was really gutted when that deal fell through but I'm actually quite glad now. So what, would that, what happened to that story then? Well, it was non-fiction, so I didn't write the whole thing. I wrote sort of the first chapter and the middle chapter and a synopsis and okay. did get quite close to something and then um, just fell through. And so I just sort of gave up. I, I, it really gutted me for a while, actually. And I thought, well, that's it. That's Could you not revisit that, though, and then like, well, fictionise it later on? with writing, work. nothing is ever wasted. So, yeah. like, Nora Ephron said, everything is copyright. So yeah. I think, you know, I can use bits of that in in other stuff um but I'm yeah quite glad now I think that that didn't ever see the light of day because <laughs> I think I would have just been writing stuff to to get a book deal right yeah. and no matter what it said about me I would have just been chucking it out and be like yeah I've got a book even though it reveals lots of like innermost stuff which I might not have been that comfortable with at a later date yeah yeah it sounds you sound like you've had the most incredible career that you've done <laughs> so many things um yeah I mean I've yeah I feel very like very lucky and I feel like it was I think it was quite an odd decision in a way to go out to the Gulf when I was like 23 but I'm so glad I did um and I, I always actually say to people I think living abroad is an amazing thing yeah, to do I really want if you can go that. and live somewhere else for a bit you know we've got our whole lives to be home wherever home is um, or London or wherever but I think going and working abroad is amazing and I always think that my, my mates who are expats I think there's a you can quite often tell if someone's lived abroad there's just a more open mentality that you can sit down next to someone who's been abroad and instantly be like hey like what's your story who yeah. are you and chat whereas I think if you stay in the same place and you stay in the same friendship groups your whole life you sort of can Stagmate. become quite close-minded yeah. yeah I think so and I think it's just really important to displace yourself I think you can get so kind of it's funny because actually I think you're right it's, it gets accelerated I know friends who moved out to Dubai mm. and it's like you get used to the money and the culture yeah. and you get sucked in and it's like quite hedonistic and exaggerated totally. but that still happens on a diluted level in London yeah it's just like you yeah. just get so used to this London way you know and I bet if you go home to the country for a weekend you don't feel like you've been there for three weeks yeah and then you come well, back to London I, well I regress when I go home to the country and I open my mum's fridge and I'm like oh, yeah I'm gonna same. eat 10 pieces of toast yeah like I'm a teenager. and all it's the cheese acceptable. I don't even eat cheese <laughs> and I'm like this is great yeah but, I, but, I, but with me I just feel very lucky like I just it's been sort of a decisions that I've made at the time that have taken me on a certain path it wasn't like yes I did want to write a book at some point but it wasn't nothing was very premeditated yeah. right so it wasn't like back when I was at the evening standard I was plotting my moves like on a chessboard like oh right yeah after this I'm going to go abroad for a bit and then I'm going to come back and then I'm going to work for Tatler in fact I really didn't want to work for Tatler you know, I tried really hard not to work for yeah. Tatler I got offered a job twice before and because I've got like the world's silliest poshest maddest name I didn't want to be supply money coots who went to work for Tatler right. that's the world's most embarrassing cliche and then I sort of went and had a lovely time and realised how great it was but do you think as well because if you if you weren't I'm assuming that when you went away you weren't in a relationship I was just coming out of the relationship with a tutor so that was part of it so do you think that had you been in a very stable relationship say from the age of 23 or 24 do you think you would have done had all the experiences that you had no probably not I would have I probably would have been less because I'm also deeply a bit like Marianne and Sense Sensibility super romantic so I think I you would have stayed thought, for that oh I'm gonna yeah. stay but I don't you're it's kind of you're a bit too young I think I'm so glad so at age 23 I went away um, I mean I don't want to sound patronising and say anyone's too young for a certain thing because it totally no, depends I on you obviously well. but... and I'm also this romantic and this stresses me out because I really hope that <laughs> I won't do this but I know that say if I wanted to go somewhere and my boyfriend mm. was like 
I want to stay. Yeah. I, I literally tell myself, I'm like, if you want to do it, you have to do it. Do you it. have to do yeah. it. Yeah. Do you Don't think that you now stuff. would take an opportunity? Well, it's, you could never it's say. It's difficult. Again, it cha- I think that might be something that changes in your 30s. Yeah. I would now, I you know, say something came up and I was going to go away again. I don't know if I would. But I'm then you've done it as well. And I, yeah, and I have done it. Although, I mean, my, I really, really, really love travelling. I'm obsessed with travelling. And yeah. part of the reason for going freelance was that I wanted to do more travelling. Um, so I do want to do much more of that. And, you know, I'm going really excited. Telegraph is sending me to Japan next month. Whereabouts so are you going? Um, Tokyo and Kyoto and oh, Osaka. Fab. Because I write this column for the Telegraph about, it's called Modern Manners. So it's sort of about etiquette in a sort of like modern love way. Right? Like, don't use your phone on the loo do this then do the that. Loop. yeah yeah i wrote a column once about how we should really like not but that's so my favorite i know i know so we all do it phone. obviously we all do it i can have a like, even when no one's here you thing. know when you're doing work and you know you're not meant to go on a phone i do it to like hide from myself that i've got on my phone so <laughs> i'll be doing work but i work from home there's no one to tell me if i go on my phone so you just take your phone to the so like, yeah so when i go for a wee i go on my phone then because i'm like well it's not well i know no no you totally all do it but i sort that's of really interesting what because you need to be conscious about columns. well it's just like some hygiene in a way oh that's so true yeah it's a little bit like yeah a little bit like that um and also are you like my brother's one of those people who has a little plaster over his camera on his laptop are you one of those people no i'm not and like, i would have facetime over it mine's always green they're probably watching me the whole I time i always think i sometimes think if i've got my phone on the loo i'm like oh my god is someone watching See, i'm, <laughs> I'm really lackadaisical about that kind of stuff because i would i literally mine will always have the green i've had friends say that to me before because i'll just i'm one of these annoying people that doesn't close tabs and shit's open yeah my friends are like they're literally watching me. i'm yeah, like you've bloody got, hope exactly that, i'm sat in my room i'd be acting out scenes and stuff they'll be like <laughs> oh god yeah that would be horrendous um, anyway so right it's gone about etiquette and modern manners and so the telegraph said could i go to japan because and go somewhere where they also get they have quite serious rules about etiquette and manners yeah. and i said like, yes please i've always wanted to go but it's everyone's always said it's incredibly expensive it's like a once in a lifetime kind yeah. of holiday in japan so so yeah point being i really want to do more travel but uh, it's difficult when you're in a sort of serious long-term relationship going away and my boyfriend travels quite a lot as well so you do slightly have to think about it and coordinate a bit more as opposed to being like, oh, sorry, I'm just going to go here and then go yeah. there. And um, so, yeah, I definitely think about it a bit more consciously now. But I think that's more because I'm in my 30s. So that's just the stage yeah, that I've got to, yeah. basically. And maybe it is because I feel like I've, I've been lucky and I have travelled quite a lot yeah. before. Interesting. Amazing. Yeah. So going forwards, more mm. books? Yes. Um, my deadline for book two is really soon. It's the end of November. Um, so I am... What I'm. This is part of the problem actually with the, the Japan trip I, I booked a cottage in Yorkshire for seven weeks I love that I know to go um, in October and for most of November to basically remove myself from London um, go somewhere where there's incredibly dodgy Wi-Fi I'm imagining and... I know it's in the Cotswolds but you know no, in the no, holiday no no, no oh, in the holiday yeah. I'm imagining that cottage yeah that so am I a bit in my head I've in. only seen a picture on like Google Maps so I'm I have no idea what it's like oh, really? I just put a thing on Facebook and I've sort of you know you've got the, for your friends and people on Facebook that you haven't spoken to for a hundred years or ever spoken to yeah but this guy just popped up and he said oh my, me and my brother have this place in Yorkshire so it'd be nice to have someone in it so it's incredibly cheap rent which was really oh, nice amazing. <laughs> um, so I'm slightly imagining it like um, yeah like the holiday as well but it, it might not be so do you think on. once you've done it because I guess the first thing about like I'm going to write a book mm. you've written a book that's amazing does that not feel amazing well again a bit like imposter syndrome it's sort of like uh like yeah I guess I have and even when I hold yeah, it it's, it's like an like, actual novel yeah no it's it is it's a really wonderful feeling and I sort of still can't believe it I basically the way I wrote this book because I did it while I was still at Tatler I used to go to Pret on Hanover Square 
and sit every morning and do an hour sort of before work writing you know sex scenes in prep while everyone got their coffees around me um and then I, if I was feeling energetic I'd go and do an hour over lunch as well but there were great like stretches of months when I oh, couldn't be bothered so and I was really fun. idle and then my poor very long-suffering agent would send me an email going hello <laughs> any further um so yeah so that was how I um did that one and then it suddenly was book shaped and it was long enough for a book and I sent it off but it does feel again mentioning imposter syndrome like a sort of happy accident in a way like I'm just very bad at at sort of owning it yeah it's funny as well because you said about four times that you're so lucky but you've literally (laughs) also just told me all the different types of jobs you did and the months that you spent <laughs> not being paid and like how you're like false modesty and... as well. I'm no, no, about it that. didn't sound false at all. No, it didn't. It literally, like, I'm so lucky to have gone and got a degree and worked alongside my degree and done internships and just happened to get this job. It's so weird that they could take me. And I was listening oh, to it and I was thinking, how it's annoying. not, it's not, no, not annoying. It's not luck, but I think it's yeah. a massive thing to learn when you grow up is that we were talking about it just before that you don't, you can just realize that you've worked hard for something. I don't know why we're just taught that you have yeah. to be, it's just so fortunate that this has happened. Checking your privilege is one thing that's great yeah but when you've literally like you've yeah. written a whole book yeah <laughs> it didn't just fall yeah, no, out the true. sky yeah exactly yeah just appear on my laptop yeah. <laughs> there are loads of egg and tomato baguettes from prep but that I made that happen yeah <laughs> i don't think we'll ever get over i mean i hope we will it's just the great thing about it and i'm happy this is happening more especially with female authors is the yeah. rawness and the realness and the real yeah. funnily enough un- unapologeticness about it which is funny in, yeah. in regards to what we've been speaking about about yeah. being very kind of nervous to yeah. be self-accepting all that bit i know i mentioned this before that bit the loo bit when Polly wakes up. I haven't got, Have you not got, that yet? got to leave uh, it. Okay, well, this is just something that a friend of mine, a girlfriend of mine said to me last week. She's like, oh my God, that bit is my favourite bit. Um, which is when, so Polly wakes up. I don't want to say who she wakes up next to, but she wakes up one morning having slept with someone for the first time. She really needs the loo, but she's just like, oh God, I can't because my bathroom's there. And if I, oh, what if I get up and I make a noise or like a yeah. smell and oh my God, what would happen? And so she lies there having this like ridiculous internal monologue for about 20 minutes and then she sort of inches out just as he wakes up and sort of reaches for her. She's like, oh, for Christ's sake, well, now I can't, can I? And so it's, so it's that thing that, you know, girlfriends and, uh, and I have spent many a time debating about, like, you know, when you first go away with yeah. someone or you go on holiday with someone. Oh, like, I can... I'm going to be internally damaged. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, so have you had a poopery? Yeah, um, is it the, the Aesop the drops? Oh no, the oh, Aesop—they're the... like very posh Aesop drops. Actually, my boyfriend has hilariously. So I got sent. This is weird. This is even funnier. This is I got. <laughs> I thought I was going to go and date this guy, and then he cancelled on me. And I got okay. sent this delivery thing. And I, for some reason, thought it was flowers. It was in a quite nice box. So okay. I started Instagram story to show off that I've been sent flowers <laughs> by this boy. <laughs> Then opened it and it was like, I was like, what was that little sprays? I was like, what does it say? And then I looked the thing and I was like, poo-poo-ry, poo-poo. And it was like, spray in the loo before you go poo. And I was like, what? Before, and then, interesting. Okay. And then I was doing all of this on my Instagram story. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> and I realised it was like a PR package. You saved it. It's your safe no, stories. It 100% should be. so funny. But then it's actually amazing. So you spray it in the toilet bowl. Yeah. And you just get that smell no matter what happens. Really? Yeah, nothing. And is it a nice, like, you know how you some lavender, sprays, you can get lavender, you can get lemongrass, and it just goes in the loo, oh, and it doesn't... Makes I'm going to Google it immediately. Yeah, <laughs> I know, it's amazing. It's really yeah, it's good. Just, oh, God, that hideousness. So we can, you can, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that. even though I've been going out with my boyfriend for over a year now, I mean, it's still a, one of those topics you're just a bit like, oh, I actually just think you don't need to, I think even if it happens, you should just not acknowledge it. Just don't talk just, about just it. Just don't talk about it. Just ignore it. Or I think some couples sometimes go I the think, other way yeah, and they're like, we just really discuss it. I think and... it's too far. I think that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> my brother has strong feelings about it. He thinks, it's too, he thinks you never, ever, ever talk about I it. I just think it's unnecessary. And I also think because it can be, you know, you sometimes want to say it because you think it makes it less embarrassing. Yeah. I actually sometimes think it's just don't call it out. Yeah. Yeah, because I've done that way. before when I'm like, "Have you farted?" And then I feel a bit bad because I'm like, I could have just not 
Like, yeah, it's clear they no have. One, yeah. You just... We don't just, have to talk about just, everything. Yeah, <laughs> just ignore it. It's like they probably didn't mean to see that, did they? <laughs> they just leave it. Oh, hideous. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad we got down to the bottom yeah, of it, exactly. quite literally. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been fast speaking to you. You too. Thank, Thank you, you so much me. for coming on. I Thank hope that you. this made sense. I don't even know if I asked you any of the right questions. We got no, so I, just, I loved it though. Just, you know, yeah, general gossip. Chat. Yeah, yeah it's fast. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, and if you. people want to find you online. Uh, yeah, online, I'm Sophia and Coots on Instagram and Twitter, or I've got my website, sophiamoneycoots.com. Okay, fine. book will be available. A book's out uh, the ninth. It's, um, yeah, the plus one out on the ninth on Kindle, on audio, which I recorded. Recording the sex scenes was really cringe. Um, and hardback out, yeah, next week. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>